Bienvenue, bonjour, I Canada. That music means we are at the last radio hour of the week because that means the Hillsdale Dialogue is on once a week. We consider either issues that are old and still relevant or issues that are new and have their roots in old disputes. This week it's the latter. I'm joined by Dean Matt Spaulding. He helms the Hillsdale College graduate program in Washington, D.C., the Van Ansdale Program on Statesmanship. Good morning, Dean. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Would you remind, we have so many new affiliates in the aftermath of the passing of Rush. A number of people have picked up the show that have never heard you before and have only come recently to appreciate the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Arn and sometimes you. So would you tell them at the start what the graduate program in D.C. does for Hillsdale College, which most people know is in Michigan, but the graduate program is alive and well and doing amazing things in Washington, D.C.? That, that, that's right. So the the... The mothership, the, the Death Star, if you will, is in southern Michigan, Hillsdale College. Uh, but we have a very uh, powerful understanding of our own mission, uh, which is to not only teach, uh, but to defend civil and religious liberty uh, around, uh, around the world. Uh, and so uh, as an extension of that teaching mission, we set up a beachhead in Washington, D.C. some years ago. And we send our undergraduates here for the semester, and I teach them as well, and we have faculty. And then about a year and a half or so ago, we started a graduate program, uh, the Van Andel School of Government, uh, which is designed for professionals. So people that are in Washington, in the administration, in think tanks, at law firms, um, uh, to get a Hillsdale education, a master's degree in government, and we put them through the rigors of learning about uh, political thought and literature, so it's Aristotle and uh, Shakespeare, uh, a lot of American political history, the founding and Lincoln, the rise of liberalism and progressivism, uh, and statecraft, statesmanship, uh, the founders, uh, Churchill, Lincoln, uh, to give them what we think is, the, is, is the, the, the knowledge they need to actually implement these ideas in current political circumstances. So it's a great... It's a great combination, if you will, of the of the uh, the great truths that that Hillsdale College represents in terms of advancing and defending uh, true true liberalism in the sense of a liberal education, uh, very much applied to the circumstances, the immediate circumstances of what's going on, how do we think about it, and how do we go about making prudential decisions in fighting from the battles we face today. You know, Dean Spalding, earlier this week I had dinner with a young intelligence community, GS-14, which is, uh, this individual's been in the intelligence community for 10 years. They have a certificate from one of the local programs in national security, which is good to have. I'm not, you know, making light of that. It's a very serious program. But I urged upon this individual that they investigate the the program because to govern is something different entirely than a skill set or a knowledge database. It's a it's an art and it's prudence combined with history, combined with theory. And I think you do that rather uniquely inside the Beltway. No, and that's and I think it's designed precisely to do that. Most most programs, many of which are very good, are fine or kind of on on a smorgasbord idea. You take a bunch of classes towards some sort of uh, professional outcome. What, what we want to do is, is teach people how to think. And you need to know some fundamental truths if you're then going to make and be, be able to think prudentially in practical circumstances. What does one need to know uh, to, to be a statesman? What, what did Churchill and Lincoln and Washington, how did they approach politics? 
it, it's a way of thinking as opposed to merely a, a set of, of, of facts, if you will. And that's the thing we desperately need in our politics right now, which is why we did it, especially in the nation's capital, to try to shape uh, national politics in every branch of government, however we can, to create more of the types of people that will make more of the write more, uh, think more, and do more in the way I think our country Yeah, my, my example would be why this is so relevant. Right now, President Biden is in the United Kingdom he is meeting and by his own request is discussing Northern Ireland Brexit and the Republic of Ireland with Boris Johnson. There's a history here, not just of the United Kingdom and its long and difficult relationship with the Republic of Ireland and what Northern Ireland stands for, but also of the American relationship with Great Britain and our founding principles vis-a-vis Union and separation. And there's a whole bunch of parliamentary history about the the Irish and the British Parliament that you, you just don't pick up anywhere else, uh, Matthew Spaulding. And I think if the people in that room had been prepared by a Hillsdale graduate degree, I'd have a lot more confidence that they just didn't break <laughs> things, that they just didn't wander in and start saying stupid stuff. Well, look, almost everything we talked about, Hugh, uh, every week, that is a great example. Uh, the debate's going on right now about legislation, the Senate, critical race, all of these things. Thinking those things through depends upon the interaction of, of at least three key things, uh, which were elements of what Aristotle described as prudence. Uh, one is knowing the circumstances, the immediate circumstance, what's going on, in, in, in what is the reality around you. Uh, another is what he called memoria, which is history. What do you know about that history that got us to here, a true history? And then behind all of that, most important, of course, is to have a a true understanding of the, of the principles that ought to inform all of that. Then you need to learn judgment and deliberation and put it all together. But it applies to everything we discuss. And knowing how to do that is really the key to not only right now in, what, in terms of what we need, but being a good prudential thinker in, in, in the world um, and in your, uh, how, you, how you approach those questions. And that takes an education, an education in how to think. Now, the application and the description of the program is at hillsdale.edu, or you can Google graduate program Hillsdale in D.C. But who, who attends, how big is it, and what are the advantages? I, I just a very practical bit, because that's part of prudence. Who does the program design for, Matthew? So it's designed for people that are, say, in the range of uh, two or three years out of school. They've already started their profession. They're working on the Hill. They're in think tanks. Uh, perhaps they've already got their law degree and they've started working in the law. They've already started down that professional path. Uh, our classes are in the evening or on the weekends uh, so that they can do these at the same time so that that actually becomes, their work becomes an aspect of what they're thinking about. So it's, it's really, it's not designed for someone just out of undergraduate school. It's designed for people that are in the midst of beginning their work, getting involved in the public square. Um, we think we, we estimate that our number will get to about about size of about eighty in the school. We're adding some new faculty. We've got a building. We're expanding, so we have the space. So it's going to be fully up and running, a fully operational Death Star, if you will, uh, probably in in very quick time. Now I'm going to give a speech this morning to a group of people that I will discuss network effects with them, and it's actually one of the great benefits of being a Hillsdale undergrad and being a member of the graduate program, which is the network effects. As you see this beginning, cocooning out and growing, are you already impressed what it's going to be in 10 years? Oh, 
A- absolutely. I, I've been in Washington with Hillsdale, you know, for a, almost a, going on a decade now, uh, and you start to see how your undergraduates go into place. They become speechwriters. They get very much involved, and they shape uh, they shape politics. Think of this now as the, the the other side of the coin. We're going to take some of the best people we can find who are already doing those things and give them the addition of a Hillsdale education. So I, I think it actually is going to have a mirror effect and also be just as effective. Uh, we're already seeing our, our people, we have people in, in, in really key positions already influencing uh, those positions based on what they're learning in their classes. They're already interacting, they're working together, they're talking to each other. So they are part of the, what we like to call uh, lovingly the Hillsdale Mafia, which is a great thing. And I like to point out to people, Hillsdale is working at both ends of the tunnel. Uh, They are starting charter schools to influence the K through 12. They are teaching people how to helm those schools and be principals. And at the other end, those people who emerge from Hillsdale and begin their public life in D.C. have a graduate program ahead of them that will further equip them to actually govern for three, four and five decades. I don't know if you guys set out to do this, but it's a wonderful exploration of the entire process by which people become leaders. No, it, it is, and, and that's an interesting question you asked, because we didn't think of it in terms of a political movement in the way, say, a modern ideological movement would start. We did it the opposite way, which is this is actually how you learn about politics. This is what classical education teaches us about politics. This is how to study history. And it turns out that's actually the best way to influence uh, politics, because it gives them a proper understanding. So came about a different reason, a different way, but I think that's exactly what it is, has created. When we come back, we're going to talk about the application of such principles to a few things, including S-1, the disaster for American elections and the unconstitutional one, should it pass, and the infrastructure that's in quotes, Bill, that is hung up, thank goodness, on the horns of prudence, with Dean Matt Spaulding of the Hillsdale Graduate Program in Washington, D.C. For all things Hillsdale, visit hillsdale.edu. For all the prior Hillsdale dialogues, go to hugh4hillsdale.com and come right back to The Hugh Hewitt Show. If and when news happens anywhere, you'll hear it here first. First, when Hugh Hewitt continues. Twenty-two minutes after the hour, America, the Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. I'm Hugh Hewitt. My guest is Dean Matt Spaulding of the Hillsdale Graduate Program in Washington, D.C. So, Dean Spaulding, once in a while we depart and do current issues. There are two in front of us that are both dire. One is S-1. Would you describe for the audience what S-1 is, assuming that we have Steelers fans listening and they've forgotten whatever I taught them over the last two months, and why it is a, uh, it's sort of an existential threat to federalism? No, that's right. So S-1 uh, for the People Act, there's a version in the House, H.R. 1, so S-1, which is actually S-B, so Senate 1, is a very large uh, piece of legislation that would uh, pretty radically and extensively change the election process administered by the states, uh, imposing a number of things, including mandates, uh, and change how a lot of things are done. The, the, uh, it 
does a few odds and ends here and there that are actually pretty good. It creates a national federal holiday for voting. But that's about, uh, but beyond that, it does a lot of very problematic things, especially how it deals with state questions. Uh, recall in the, in, in the broader sense of uh, constitutionalism, uh, we have a federal government and a federal constitution, and state governments are a bunch of state constitutions. This idea we call federalism uh, was to decentralize things, but more more importantly, in many ways, to to decentralize our politics, uh, to to make the most important things dealt with by the federal government, the nation's security, uh, upholding the rule of law. Um, Maintaining uh, contracts and, and uh, keeping an eye on the economy in the broad sense. But otherwise, the political questions almost all were left to be dealt with, uh, with by the states. Uh, we think, of course, most importantly, the question, say, of education. That's a state question. States, state legislatures, school districts deal with that. Well, the same is true with elect uh, elections. Uh, most elections, if not all elections for that matter, are state elections, uh, and whether it's Congress, senators, even the election of the president is done through something called the Electoral College, which is a state election, uh, and then, of course, all the local elections. Uh, but the rules for those elections, the process for those elections, is to be handled by the states and the state legislatures. And that's actually absolutely key to uh, both in a negative and a positive sense. In, in, the, in the negative sense... It prevents any one party or any one form of government, especially now we're speaking of it being uh, pulled into the federal government, so the central government, controlling those elections, which is a temptation to tip those elections and to uh, design them to the advantage of your political party, which I think is what's going on here, uh, which <laughs> is why I think uh, Joe Manchin, of all people, uh, and a few others are actually seeing through that and opposing it. Um, but the positive argument, which is very important to keep in mind, is by essentially diversifying our electoral system uh, and leaving it to state legislatures, uh, we actually allow for and encourage uh, a certain flourishing of a diversity of opinions, uh, recognizing that those opinions and regional opinions and state opinions um, and the, the the ability to accommodate all those differences is actually one of the beautiful aspects of American democracy. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to actually work in Congress when you have, when you have legislatures uh, coming to a consensus and making deals and working with each other. These things aren't supposed to be uh, controlled in one way uh, and then applied on everybody. Uh, that's actually not uh, democratic republicanism at all. That's uh, a, a, a more centralized form, which I think the founders very wisely warned us against uh, in their concern about preventing factions. So, I mean, writ large, just stepping back for a moment, this is a, 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 a massive attempt through the federal government um, uh, on the part of one political party to really affect and change from the federal level state elections, which will have enormous implications for controlling the outcome of those elections, which is precisely the kind of political action uh, and activity we, we don't want to have happen uh, at all, both as a constitutional legal matter, but also just in terms of how our politics works.
They are attempting to load the dice in colorful terms, and it must be beaten. I'll be right back. Dean Matt Spaulding and I, Hugh Hewitt, return right after this. You're in the middle of a non-stop action-packed information blitz. The Hugh Hewitt Show is coming right back. Yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. Welcome back, America. It's you here at Little School Hall's Rock, because I am joined on this Hillsdale dialogue by none other than Dean Matt Spaulding. I'm just a bill, a famous introduction for Steelers fans and grade school kids about how legislation happens. We move from S1 to a trillion dollar or two trillion dollar proposal. First of all, Dean Spaulding, we've kind of lost. Bill Bennett used to bemoan the fact that we've lost the arithmetical precision of what a million dollars means or a billion or a trillion. And people just don't even grasp the sort of money we're talking about. No, that's true. I, I think that um, uh, not only we last lost the, the sense of money in terms of the dollar amount, but uh, I wonder sometimes whether we've just lost the sense of money uh, simply, which is to say that uh, we don't we we don't treat it as if it's real money, uh, especially we don't treat it as if it's, if it's our money, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's it's a mind-boggling exercise to to contemplate the amounts of money. I mean, parts of these. Uh, pieces of legislation, minor parts of these pieces of legislation in not so distant past would have been considered major pieces of legislation because of what they, they, how much money they spend. So it's just that that whole process. This has been going on for some time, by which more and more is done in these huge pieces of legislation, these omnibus bills with massive amounts of money. Um, I, I think one of the things we're seeing going on now is. Um, you know, we, we lamented having to do that. That was supposedly because we couldn't agree, so we forced everything into these big pieces of legislation and, and made these last-minute um, uh, bills. I think what's happened now in the last uh, uh, you know, number of years and in, in, in a while is uh, political actors have figured out actually how to use that process, uh, which we might have lamented in the past, as a, a virtue and make that the key vehicle for uh, for politics, make the bill so large we don't know what's in it, as was famously said uh, by Speaker Pelosi a number of years ago. Got to pass it to see what's in it. Make it so large you can't see what's in it, and and make the the amount of money so big that we're no longer capable of making prudential distinctions between uh, you know mere billions of dollars here or there, hundreds of billions of dollars here or there, even though it all adds up to several trillion dollars. Earlier so, this I, week, I this said- there's some there's some deeper meaning to all that too. Uh- Earlier this week, the Senate passed a $350 billion bill called the Endless Frontier. I talked about it with Todd Young. It's not a bad idea. Invest in spending that will give us a technological edge over the Chinese Communist Party. But no one actually knows what's in it or how it will be spent. And it did not go through regular order, except it kind of did. But it all came together in backroom deal at the risk of having people's eyes glaze over. What is regular order, Dean Spaulding? And why does it actually matter? 
Yeah, it, it, it does matter a lot, and it's actually not that complicated. Uh, it's regular, as we say, regular order, which is to say there's a process uh, by which these things are supposed to happen. One of the important things to remember is that Congress, the legislative branch especially, is really central to how our, how our republic works, how the rule of law works. But it's also a, a body in which different legislators, whom we elect based on our consent, um, uh, basically have to come together and work things out and come up with ideas and think things through and do oversight and keep an eye on the budget, especially. It's one of their main jobs. Uh, the process of doing that, uh, because you've got to take Congress, then you break it into committees, and committees have subcommittees, and you have hearings, and you have what are called markups, which is where we go through and actually look at legislation. You have hearings to bring people in to testify. All of that is a process by which we actually, any uh, congressman, uh, actually go about the regular process of creating and legislating. Uh, and there's a great virtue in that because it allows people to keep an eye on everything. It allows there to be open and transparent discussion. Uh, it allows you to check back on whether it's actually occurring or not. Uh, it, that's the complete opposite of these big pieces of legislation which is to pack as much in there as possible to get around that process so there is an open discussion of the pieces. And then the, the trick, or the, the attempted trick, is to put enough in there and call it something which it probably really isn't uh, to, to do it qu quickly and, and fool enough people that they pass it. So, for instance, the, the infrastructure bill isn't really about infrastructure. It's about lots of things, all of which deserve serious debate and discussion. Um, the, the, you know, For the People Act has, seems to be this large argument, this large argument for voting rights, but it doesn't actually extend the, uh, the franchise, it doesn't correct any great wrong, uh, but it fiddles with uh, election rules uh, nationwide from the, from the central government's point of view, so it's actually something different than advertised. Um, that's actually not, I, I would actually go as far as to say that's actually not the legislative lawmaking process at all. Uh, that's a different, almost a different form of, of, uh, of writing and making regulatory law that's more appropriate in a modern administrative state. But it's, it's not the old-fashioned one that's based on consent and open discussion and debate and compromise and, and uh, legislative consensus. Not at all. And it's also it's completely, completely alien to the way that Americans do anything. It's not how they run a house with a budget or with an idea of where their finances are. Not everyone does, but those that don't get into trouble. It's not how you run a college. Hillsdale College has a budget. They have metrics. The Nixon Foundation, which I lead, has a budget. It has metrics. It has an endowment. It is not how any business in America operates, which on a quarterly basis, if it's a publicly traded company, has to come forward and say, we promised X, we delivered X minus A or X plus B. And it's a, you know, a, an assessment, a metric. This is a mess. It's got nothing to do with governance. It has got to do with throwing so much money at so many topics it's actually impossible to understand, and we are reduced to taking six column inches lead, which is all talking points, and believing about it, because there is no committee markup. There is no, there actually isn't anything detailing. I looked this morning to try and find the trillion-dollar compromise. There's nothing specific there, Matt Spaulding. There's nothing. No, that's, that, that's absolutely right. There's an odd way in which this new process, of which these bills we're talking about are examples, right? They all follow the same pattern, in which they're all radically apolitical, 
at the same time, they're also radically political in a very narrow sense, uh, if, if, if you will, um, which is say that it, it really violates the normal political process, the good political process in the sense that we, we debate these things, we openly discuss them, we have disagreements, we fight them out, uh, but then we take responsibility for our actions. Uh, including budget actions, but also meeting our objectives and, and, and the mission, if you will, uh, uh, and the purpose. And we follow the Constitution. Uh, these pieces of legislation are, are all uh, ignorant of that political process. Um, and the fact that they're ignorant of that political process is what explains uh, someone like a Joe Manchin or others around the edges every once in a while uh, saying, well, this is not a good idea. <laughs> this is bad politics. That's what Congress is supposed to force people to, 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 to go through. But then the other way, they're, they're radically political in the sense that these are massive pieces of legislation with massive amounts of spending. But the objective here, we've got to keep in mind the objective. The objective is to, to, to accomplish a lot of things that are all deep down into the details, other policy objectives that might not pass otherwise, to spend a lot of money, which we can later control and shift around, um, but to force it through uh, in, in a way that achieves our narrow partisan objectives uh, and ignores the general political uh, understanding of the rest of the country. So it's, it's both those things simultaneously, uh, which, is, uh, which is why I think in many ways the, the wheels are coming off of this uh, approach in this, under this administration. I think they've really, they've, they've, this, this process is, is starting to show that there actually isn't a political consensus for doing all these things, these massive pieces of legislation, there might be a consensus on little pieces here and there, which is the way that the regular process would do it, but they're still full steam ahead of doing it in these massive pieces of, of legislation. Now, I have Leader McConnell will be my guest on Monday, and I intend to encourage him to continue to be Dr. No, and he gets a lot of heat for that. But, but by simply holding the Republicans in check against this, this compromise bill is larger than the Obama stimulus, which a short 13 years ago was considered behemoth and unbecoming a congressional action and full of waste and cylindras. Well, Joe Biden wanted two and a half times the Obama bill, and the Republicans have got him down to one times the Obama bill plus $200 billion. It's actually mind-boggling, Matt. We have about a minute to the break. No, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, this is not the old-fashioned way of, of compromise, which say, here's what we're interested in, here's what you're interested in, let's find a place to think this through and find a compromise. This is a different beast. This is not law. Uh, this is a process of pushing a lot of things through, and I think Republicans, and if it were flipped around, the Democrats should be very wary of that. This is one-party rule through massive spending, massive legislation. This is not normal legislation. This is not a bipartisan process. This is not a process, I think, consistent with constitutional republicanism. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about what this does to the politics of the 2022 cycle and perhaps beyond to the 2024 cycle. I remind everyone that the Hillsdale Dialogues are all collected and can be all listened to, eight years of them, at hughforhillsdale.com. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. You don't have to go for Schoolhouse Rock. You can actually go and see long, great courses of 30 to 35 minutes each on the founding, on the progressive era, on Churchill, on wonderful topics. And just sign up for Imprimus as well. It's the speech digest that Hillsdale sends 
the old-fashioned way, snail mail to everyone once a month, and it will enliven you and give you something good to read. This is The Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dean Matt Spaulding of the Hilldale Graduate Program in... Washington, D.C. Dean Spaulding, one of the things I didn't cover at the beginning is that the Hilltale Graduate Program wants to be available to anyone who takes it. So if the budget is tight, do not take yourself out of the application process, correct? No, that, that's right. We have the, the, the greatest donors in the world, and they have made it possible for us to give scholarships up to including full scholarships uh, to our students. Indeed, uh, we have just accepted somebody in uh, in the active military into our program, and he's going to receive a 100% military scholarship. You see, that's why Hillsdale is really reaching out for the talent. They're looking for talent, not ability to pay. That makes it very different from other colleges and universities. So, Dean Spaulding, I wanted to close with the story I began the morning with, which was critical race theory at Oxford. The teachers at Oxford are not going to tutor the Oriole College students because of a statue of Cecil Rhodes. And this has exploded in the British press, and rightly so, because it's an abdication of the responsibility of a professor, which you are. How how long will this madness course, and where will it meet other than Hillsdale, its end? Uh, that's, that's, a, that's actually a great question. I, I think uh, uh, one argument is it, it, it's going to burn out here and... In, in, and uh, the immediate debate, I think, will change. But having said that, this is this is not going away. This is going to be a long, long uh, discussion. W- one of the reasons I say that is, you know, right now we refer to critical race theory, but you know, there are all sorts of these euf- euphemisms for these different ways of talking about this subject. Uh, you know, social justice, diversity, and inclusion, uh, equity, cultural responsive teaching. Uh, there's you know the 1619 project. Uh, the, the particular thing right now will probably change, but the, the longer-term uh, debate, I think, is absolutely crucial. This has something to do with how we look at history. This is deeply grounded in the rise of uh, not only progressivism and historicism, but it comes out of European uh, uh, European roots in, Mar- uh, roots in Marxist theory, where we get the idea of critical theory. And then the, the, the notion that it's going to be critical race theory is an adaptation to stir up racial distinctions in this country to bring about political change. And it began so as critical legal theory in the legal academy. When I went to law school, the crits were in charge of Harvard, but they were nowhere else. And in the 40 years since, they're everywhere. And the Presidential Commission on 1776 was supposed to put a... Uh, a, a brick in the road. It was supposed to try and stop the momentum. And of course, Team Biden dismantled it immediately. But I hope you continue to circulate the work of the 1776 commission. Uh, we, we will. It, 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 it's just on, on that particular point, the, it, I think it's incredibly interesting to note that the executive order on the first day that abolished the 1776 commission was the same executive order that created various other commissions to enforce equity as the principle guiding the federal government. These are diametrically opposed things, and I think uh, that way tells almost everything about it. Uh, the commission will continue. Uh, we actually met, even though we've been a, a, a abolished, we met uh, last week at the Hilltail College here in Washington, D.C., put out a statement. Uh, we've issued objections to the Department of Education's uh, use or our, our uh, 
signaling that they want to spend federal money to support this kind of education and racism in education. So we're going to continue to be involved. We've encouraged states and others to set up their own 1776 commissions. We are encouraging and committing states that are, that are going into these matters. So I think there's a larger movement uh, getting to the point of being a significant pushback against this immediate uh, surge uh, in, in critical race theory. You've seen now, I think, you know, Florida, I think, just did something yesterday about critical race theory, but Texas, um, um, uh, different, you know, several different states have been doing things. That's all for the good. Uh, but there's, a, there's, we, we need to be very conscious. Of that. There's a much deeper thing going on here, which is we no longer look at history as a series of events and facts and individuals that we are to learn about. This approach really looks at history and uses history. History is merely a tool to fight current politics, current political. Uh, and, and my my friend David French, uh, my friend David French made an argument against arguing against critical race theory because it's so amorphous it might hurt free speech, and there's there's merit to that. But at the same time, a blob is a blob, and and it's got to be fought like a blob, and you have to freeze it in place first, Steve McQueen style, and it's just this giant blob that's absorbing everything. No, I, I think it's right. So I, I would I would grant the point that this is why I brought up this question about all the euphemisms, whatever language it goes under. We can get down the weeds. The more important thing here is to point out that race, the the using race to, to teach, to to shape how we understand history, to make it the centerpiece of our politics, which is what this this philosophy is designed to do in order to stir up radical change and revolution. Uh, that is wrong, and it fundamentally violates the core principles of everything that America stands for, that all men are created equal. These are diametrically opposed, and that has to be extremely clear and understood so that we can then have a, a deliberative and prudential discussion about the particulars. That cannot, be said, that cannot be said often enough. Dean Matt Spaulding, thank you. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Thank you, Ben Brigman and Harley Idy. Thank you, Adam Ramsey. Thank you, Dwayne. I'll be back Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. When you absolutely, positively need the truth, this is where you turn. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show.